Hello, everybody. Welcome to the mailbag. Welcome, you beautiful Patreon subscribers, to this lovely little podcast featuring myself, Marcus Speller, and him, Andy Brassel. Hello. How are you doing, Big Brass? I'm well. How are you, Ramblers? Uh, nice mm-hmm. to connect with you once more. Absolutely right, yeah. No, pleasure. Thank you once again uh, for, for getting involved in Patreon. We do bloody love you for it. And, and if you didn't, we'd still love you as well, of course. Um, but uh, Andy, how are you getting on during this uh, sort of extended lockdown phase? Did you think you'd be out and about by now? Or are you, um, are you, are you one to, to, to err on the side of caution and think, nope, we're in for the long haul? No, I'm um, very much taking the head coach's perspective of uh, one day at a time. <laughs> one day at a time. One week at a time. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, Andy, fortunately, our good people have supplied us with some questions that I will be asking you in just a moment. So um, we, we we thank you for that. Well, let's begin. Let's um, start with Danny O'Connor, 06, who asked this. Which managers are getting a favour by not having football at the moment? Any who may have been on the edge, but of course now get a second chance when football returns. Andy. I'm glad this question has come from Danny O'Connor 06. I don't really care for one to five that much, to be honest. <laughs> um, but uh, Danny, I think it's a really good question because, um, of course, you look at those ones that are on the edge, but I don't think it's just that. The, the, the first one that I would think in terms of uh, those on the edge is, is, is Claude Puel at Saint-Étienne. Now, oh, Claude. What's happening at Claude? Wherever he goes, Claude. he gets a bit of stick and he does okay. He does I okay. Know. That beautiful Ex- voice by Andy. Except, except, uh, you bear in mind that this was a kind of big risk taking this appointment in the first place because he's um, associated very closely with um, St. Etienne's major rivals, Lyon. Although if you're a St. Etienne fan, in my opinion, you would love him because he almost financially ruined Lyon while he was there <laughs> as well as taking them to a, a Champions League semi-final and, and left in, in bitter acrimony. Mm-hmm. Um, but to prolong this bitter acrimony, he uh, took the 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 Leon uh, the Saint Etienne job um, just a, a day or two after Jean Michel Olas while the talks have been going on had said well if you're looking for a bloke to haul you out of the shit at the bottom of the table I think you're going <laughs> for the wrong horse quite frankly to prove that that acrimony was really lingering and so Puel took the job mm. first game in charge Derby against Leon and they win. In the 89th yeah. minute, St. Etienne win in the 89th minute, which is a great start for Claude Puel. It mm-hmm. precipitated the sacking of Silvino as, as Leon coach as well. But it's not gone brilliantly since then. And before the hiatus, St. Etienne had been on a, a particularly bad winless run. And they're currently uh, fourth from bottom in the table as it stands at the moment. Now, to clarify, in France, you've got um, a bottom two mm-hmm. that absolutely incontrovertibly go down yeah and then they've they've switched to the playoff formula that they have in germany over the last couple of years so third from bottom in Ligue 1 plays third from top in in league two uh, and and there's there's a there's a playoff to see who who goes up or or stays up and um Yes, and Etienne are just three points ahead of that at the moment, which for a club of their size, their history, their stature is is really bad. And um, Puel splits opinion at the club. Um, there's no doubt about that. And 
But what, funnily enough, I think has worked in his favour during this hiatus, I mean, we've seen a lot of these like the sort of Twitter questions and mainly Instagram lives that various players have done. Now, of course, we're noting the ones by um, the likes of uh, Juan Mata and Mats Hummels. But Jan and Villa, remember him? He did one yeah. and um, where he said that, um, yeah, I'm not saying Puel's not a good coach but he's not got great personal skills. And he said, you know, you could pass him in the corridor at the training ground and he wouldn't speak to you, which I always find a bit weird. Yes. And um, funnily enough, he was obviously, uh, after this went public and became a bit of a story, he was forced to row back a little bit. And he was like, well, I wasn't criticising him as a coach. So in a way, I Just wonder if that's played... Yeah, exactly. I just think he's an awful guy. <laughs> he's a bit of a dick. But, you know, he knows how to take a couple of drills, let's be honest. <laughs> but I kind of wonder it's if right that's cold, actually... It's right, You're right with that? <laughs> oh, I actually dear. wonder if that's played quite well for Claude Puel because one of his big players has been forced to row back a little bit. I mean, St Etienne have had a, a, a load of injuries. It's not all been his fault um but he was someone who his, his position was definitely in doubt before the before the hiatus and i think this situation and the Invilla situation actually of, of this instagram live has lightly reinforced his position not made him bulletproof by any any stretch of the imagination but lightly mm. reinforced his position but um going back to danny's question i, I think it's interesting thing, to think of guys that are not just on the edge, but certain coaches who'd, who'd hit a wall. So mm -hmm. they need a bit of time and space to rethink things, which you don't get in the busiest point of the season, obviously. I think one of those um, is David Wagner at, at Schalke. I mean, we referenced on this mm -hmm. week's OTC just um, how awful Schalke were when I last saw them in the flesh at, at, at the end of... Um, February when they got hammered at, at Köln and there's been a sense that um, Wagner Schalke have been uh, batting above their weight well batting above their weight there's a nice mixed metaphor punching Lovely. above their weights <laughs> <laughs> with a cricket bat <laughs> yeah, for, um, for a lot of the season and um, you know there's been a, a, a sort of natural leveling out um, but I think a little bit of a time to rethink for him is, is quite good because there've been six games without a win. Mm. They look pretty rancid over that time. They'd look pretty short of ideas. The football had been a bit, a bit turgid. Stop me if you've heard this one before, Huddersfield fans. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, there are a few issues they're, they're still in a European place. So it's by no means um, mm -hmm. a complete shambles, but for him to have a bit of a rethink is, is good. And also, I think his position, which was never in major doubt, is sort of reinforced by the fact that Schalke is skint. Uh, they can't afford to sack him. Mm -hmm. And also, who else would they get? I think he's someone who understands the club, uh, understands the particular pressures that are there. And for him to have a bit of a step back and a think about things, uh, especially in the bus busiest point of the season, an unexpected chance to think about things is quite an advantage. The, the third one that mm. I'll talk about, and the guy who's in a similar situation in, in that sense, um, is, is probably Kike Setien at Barcelona because wow. he took the job in um, a, a really unusual time. 
Um, obviously, there was a lot of consternation about the manner of Valverde sacking with uh, Eric Abidal coming out and saying that the, the players had gotten fired, Messi firing back. Um, there was the loss in El Clasico to uh, Real Madrid, which obviously they've won since and they're top of the table with Real Madrid losing a, a, a Betis. But I think just to have a little while to let the dust settle. And I know people will look at Barcelona again. It's something we talked about in this week's OTC and all the stuff that's going on with him off the pitch. I wonder if this gives Setien a little bit of room to work because the situation mm-hmm. off the pitch has escalated and escalated and it's completely out of control. But really, it's not entirely dissimilar to the situation off the pitch at board level when Ernesto Valverde uh, took over and he got to do all sorts of stuff I mean he got to move Barcelona from 4-3-3 to 4-4-2 because no <laughs> one was really paying attention because all this other stuff was happening so he just got to get his head down and get on with the work and I wonder whether this situation and the little break affords Kike Setien a, a similar opportunity because he's not really had time to get his breath so far since he's got into his new job yeah and it might I throw um, Jose Mourinho into the mix he's done very well out of this lockdown phase because uh, Spurs have, you know, Daniel Levy's heaped a load of bad publicity onto Spurs. Now, I know they've reversed that decision with the furloughing of the staff and so on and so forth. Um, but Mourinho, I think we all thought probably at the end of the season might go that go his separate ways with, with Spurs. Certainly some Spurs fans are thinking that. What, what do you make of the situation here? Obviously a bit closer to home than, than some of the other names you've been mentioning. I think it's a really good question, Marcus. Um, But I think when you're talking about advantage that Jose Mourinho might take from this situation, we know we're talking about Schalke not being able to afford to to, to sack David Wagner, even if they Mm -hmm. wanted to. Well, could Spurs afford to sack Mourinho? I mean, that would be super expensive anyway, especially in this economic climate. I mean, and if you were Mourinho, would you be um, disposed to say, yeah, okay then, if they said, well, yeah, we're going to fire you. Can, can we pay you back in a couple of years? <laughs> I mean, no, that's, you know, that's, that's not going to work, is it? So, um, no. yeah, I, I do wonder. I, I think they should furlough the, Mourinho. That's what they should do. <laughs> Up to yeah, £2,500 a, a month. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that wouldn't be just a 20% pay cut for him. <laughs> that, that would buy you a lot of burgers at those stalls outside the ground at, at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, I'd buy you a few burgers, Andy, just a few. Yeah, it is strange when um, Mourinho is the guy who's been caught outdoors breaching social distancing with the, <laughs> the, the, the thing with Ndombele and all the rest of it and, and Davinson Sanchez to think that his position has perhaps been reinforced. I mean, at least it's a good example of him wanting to put the, the hard yards in, even when it does completely flout government <laughs> rules. Yeah, yeah dearie me. Right, let's move on to this question from Peels underscore zero three. Has there been any further news on the Friedkin takeover for AS Roman? Is it still to go ahead or has the deal now fallen through thanks to COVID-19? Well, the simple answer, Peels, is we don't know because um, everything in Italian football has been left up in the air um, by the coronavirus crisis. And, um, you know, they were set to complete. They were pretty much at the same stage that um, at the time of recording Newcastle United are with with, with their takeover in that all the preliminary stuff has, has, has been signed. Um, Dan Friedkin is uh, set to become the, the, the new owner and presumably president also of, of Roma. 
but because of the suspension of the league, um, they they held off. Now the Friedkin camp was saying, you know, we, we we've just put it on ice for the moment because mm. of the situation. And um, James Pilotta, who the current owner, owner of majority shareholder of Roma, <clears throat> who seems to have had his nose put out of joint ever so slightly from this, um, has, has said, well, look. It's, it's not on hold as, as far as I'm concerned. You'll have to ask Dan and, and his guys what's what's going on, presumably to try and put the pressure on him to push it over the line. But what are they going to do at the moment? Uh, the, the, the fact is, with the current situation in Italian and European and world football, you can't complete it because um, you don't know what sort of losses you're signing up to. And mm. with Roma, there's a degree of debt anyway. Um, not as great as it, it once was, um, but they're a, they're a club that's consistently run at a loss. Um, Pelotta has done a, a, a lot to to make inroads in that and, and, and streamline that, but they're, they're certainly a, a club um, that would be susceptible to loss as well. The, the advantage, I think, in terms of where Roma are now um, into the Paolo Fonseca rebuild is a lot of big earners have, have gone from the 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 previous cycle so you've got no De Rossi anymore you've got no Totti you've got no uh, Strootman no Rajana Ingolan although that's something that um Eusebio Di Francesco um the predecessor was was um the, the permanent predecessor to um Fonseca of course with Ranieri coming up for a little spell in the middle um was talking about this week he was saying in the, in, the, in the newspapers he really regretted selling Strootman and um, Rajan Angolan. It was really difficult to rebuild his team from there. I think he was talking more about the the spiritual side of it because, of course, he had to mm. cope with the losses of, of Mo Salah and Alisson as, as, as well. And got to a, a, a Yeah, exa- exactly. But I think what he was getting at with Strootman and um, Nangalan is what they represented in terms of um, in, the, in the dressing room their influence because if you've seen what Strokeman's done since he's left Roma, there is simply no case to regret that deal at all mm-hmm. um, because Marseille have been trying to get rid of him for well, a couple of months after they've signed him really because yeah. he's on absolutely enormous wages and um, it, it appears to be leaving him if, if, if that's not too strong a phrase. Uh, so, you know that there are liabilities associated with Roma, not as much as they once were. Um, you have to ask as well. Bear in mind the new Stadio uh, de Roma, which was meant to be completed in 2016, lest we forget. Um, there've been a lot of holdups with that. You have to ask: um, Will there be further holdups given the situation, not just in Serie A but in Italy in in general? I find it very hard to believe that there won't be some sort of restructuring of the deal now for Pelotta this must be only a massive pain in the ass because um, he was looking at removing himself from obviously those financial obligations um, removing himself from the protracted negotiations to get to the the new stadium project on on, on the road um, which I mean, it has to be one of your your 
key selling points when when you're flogging Roma because you're saying right okay if you get this new stadium finished not only are you getting all the income that you don't get from a municipal facility you're not paying rent um you can have um bigger crowds slightly higher ticket prices um concerts um huge conferencing and corporate facilities and all that sort of stuff naming rights that is your key point for selling Roma but clearly Pelotta had grown quite tired of of the negotiations the other thing is he'd have been making on the terms that they were selling the club a very very tidy profit off the Friedkin group um but now that's that's like I said surely going to have to be brought down in terms of price or certainly restructured maybe contingent on a number of other factors so um Dan Friedkin has been trying to get into sports ownership for a while. He tried to buy the Houston Rockets um, a, a couple of years back before that, before their current owner owner bought them, um, Tillman Fatita, a couple of years ago, because um, uh, they're Houston based. So I, I believe the enthusiasm is still there, but like so many other things in the world at the moment, I think they'll just have to renegotiate and just be a bit more realistic about where the world and where the economy is all right andy let's uh, move on from uh, poor old Roma and and uh, take this uh, question from Robbie M who says which England players would benefit from a move abroad I suppose you could st- extrapolate that out to English players although Robbie may be asking specifically players who are and who have ambitions to play for England what do you think Andy much talk I about Harry re- Kane's future yeah and um, I think that would be really interesting I mean I'm all for um players from whichever country going abroad because I just do think it winds your experience um, in, in life as as well as on the pitch. Um, but if we're talking about strictly on the pitch in terms of uh, tactical understanding, in terms of growing as a player, in terms of developing other sides of your game, I think it's absolutely invaluable. For that reason, I think, yeah, there's a case for, for Harry Kane. And I think the difficulty for him at the moment in the current situation is who's got that sort of money, the sort of money that Tottenham <laughs> would 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 demand. And, you know, the clubs that were at one point really hot on him, Real Madrid and Manchester United, as our good friend Miguel Delaney's pointed out recently, are not as keen as they once mm-hmm. were. And always with a price like Harry Kane's got on his head, it's going to be a very small market because 99% of clubs simply cannot afford that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about other so, players then? Because Kane, there's the money issue. He, clearly, he would attract attention from yeah. from many, many clubs. Would there be any other players that you would think, do you know what? Whether there be young players, you know, we've seen how Jaden Sancho's got on in, in Germany is, is, is a good example. Mm. But is there any other players that you think to yourself, actually, that, that they could go, they could go, but I mean, Ashley Young's done it a little bit later in his career, of course. The The... One that stands out to me is Raheem Sterling. I, I, I would love to to see him um, at a Real Madrid or a, a Barcelona. I think it would make him grow that little bit more. I think it would be hugely positive for England. He's just at the right age, at, mm-hmm. at 25. And if you think, actually, he's got so much left in the tank, but he's got so much experience already. I mean, you look, he's got more England caps than Harry Kane. Mm-hmm. He's 
come into the spotlight with Liverpool and there was a lot of expectation to meet there and he met it and surpassed it. Mm -hmm. He's done the same with Manchester City and he was under pressure from minute one there because of the nature of his transfer from from Liverpool, lest we forget. I I would love to see Raheem Sterling abroad. I I think he's um, smart enough to get the best out of it. Um, I, I think he'd do absolutely brilliantly. Um, but funnily enough, I think you also look further at, at, at Manchester City. I think a, a player of basically the same age, John Stones, who yeah. I think would could do with a re-kickstart to his career. Now, mm. I would argue that part of John Stones' difficulties over the last couple of years is because he hasn't had a consistent and reliable centre-back partner. And that's mm. been the problem for most of the time that he's at Manchester City. You know, a, a player like that, you need a really solid defender next to him. If, if Vincent Company had been fit all the time, that he was at Manchester City, that Stones was at Manchester City. Mm-hmm. I don't even think this is a conversation because um, Company is, is is a brilliant defender and he's really steady and reliable when he's fit. Um, but the fact that Stones hasn't had someone to walk him through... A bit like John is, Terry is, with Carvalho. A difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. Um, but Stones has got that sort of ability on the ball that would be seen as an asset rather than a weakness in um, Spain or Italy, I think. Um, I I would love to see him get a go at somewhere else. And he does need to start again. And you have to ask, you know, if if you're talking about a player re-piecing together his game, especially a defensive player re-piecing together his game, Mm-hmm. how easy is it to do that in the Premier League? Not easy, I would say, yeah. because um, defending with composure is really, really tough in, <clears throat> in, the, in, the, in the Premier League. So that's something that I think would be, would be interesting. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that happen. Another one, maybe slightly more left field and maybe slightly less likely because there are big Premier League clubs interested in him. I, I would love to see James Madison in, in Spain or Italy because mm-hmm. he is a player with enormous technical ability, enormous imagination, and it's, it's clear that he can handle himself as well. But I think just to coax even more of that out of him because mm-hmm. he's a player really at the beginning of his journey in terms of being an international footballer, in terms of being yet to play in the Champions League. It's come a really long way at Leicester, but for him to be... Uh, the centrepiece of a top European club. I think I I would really like to see that. And I would really like to see him, when we were talking at the beginning about players getting in a different headspace. And you look at the way, for example, um, Marcelo Bielsa opened up Dimitri Payet. And that was quite a bit later in his career. But Mm -hmm. to work with different coaches, with different perspectives, with different ideas, I, I, I wonder how good Madison could get if he was put in that sort of position. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see Harry Winks go abroad. I think he's got mm. a bit of technical ability, and uh, yeah, and and just yeah, it's unlikely because for um, I, I can't imagine, especially one of the top European sides, maybe not the the elite clubs, but a top European side, molding a lot of their midfield around an English player. I just I can't imagine that that sort of happening. Which is why I would love it if someone like Winks went abroad to hone his skills and. And so mm. on and so forth, but but there we are. All right, last question uh, from Tom, who says, instead, <laughs> "Quite like this. Instead of asking your best match experience, what's the worst match experience you've had, both in the UK and abroad?" 
Hmm. I love that. My, my, my worst match experience, I think mm-hmm. I'd probably have to go back to one of the first times I was working in Portugal. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I did two Champions League games in a week. I did Porto versus Liverpool on the Tuesday and Sporting versus Manchester United on the Wednesday. And um, came down on the train from uh, Porto to Lisbon. Um, nice, very nice train journey. Uh, got there early. Nice bit of lunch before I made it to the Estadio Jose Alvalade. You might remember the game. It was the one where Cristiano Ronaldo came back to Sporting for the first time, scored the winner with a diving header and yep. then did that little prayer. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and um, so anyway, I um, have a lovely lunch and um, and make Sounds it to the stadium. Sounds like a good experience so far, Andy. I'll, I'll wait for it. There's a dark twist. Okay. Okay. Uh, and um, I, I'm I'm sat there um, tapping away on, on my laptop in the first half. As, as the half went on, I started to feel increasingly bad. And so... Uh, at half turn, uh, it, it turned out this this fish wasn't as good as it had initially appeared, and um, I, I made it to the back. And despite being quite a new stadium, um, the uh, Jose Alvalade does not have luxuriant press facilities. It's a great stadium to go and watch a, a, a game from, but um, I, I went to the back, and th- there was one cubicle for mm. probably about two hundred journalists. Blimey. so i'm i'm waiting there for a while finally get in feel a little bit better afterwards come out the second half is already a minute old um because there was quite a wait and so i try to make it back down to my place and i look down the row that i'm on and um there's uh, people are already there and especially two in the middle that can't really ask to get out the way. It's Andy Gray. And I think it was Martin Tyler. Oh, I thought well. you were going like, to say pro- Richard Keyes. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're probably in the, in, in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, I can't really, they're broadcasting live. I can't ask them to get out of the way. And it's the only way I can get back to my seat. Mm. And so in the end, having, just had quite a chastening toilet experience. Mm. I'm forced to climb over some TV scaffolding behind them, which is very precarious to get back to my seat. I did manage it. Cristiano did score the winner, uh, but uh, it was not a situation that I would care to repeat. And obviously Sky were able to continue broadcasting without me going, get out of the way. Well done. Or, uh, I, 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 wonder if, I wonder if Tom meant, you know, match experience in terms of the actual match and the surroundings rather than your, your stomach and bowels, Andy. Uh, well, maybe he did mean that, but it's up to me to interpret the questions as I choose to. And that is exactly what I've done on this occasion. Um, if we're looking for a non-work thing and we're looking for the UK, I would say yeah. Hazen Yedding away with Wimbledon on um, January the 1st, 2010. Uh, I drove along there, quite a long drive from South mm-hmm. London, it's sort of by Heathrow, Hazen Yedding. Oh, I've, and, I've scored um, at Hazen Yedding, Andy. He was in a friendly, organised by some Sky employees and so on, but I know the ground. You say that. Where, if you, where were you for Wimbledon that day, you shithouse? We lost 1-0. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, any, 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 anyway, um, 
uh, yeah, we, 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 we went to that. We had to make an unscheduled stop on the way because one of my passengers was so hungover that he insisted that I uh, stop at a service station so he could uh, get a beer to help him get over it. Um, we got there. Um, it was dreadful performance. We did lose 1-0. Uh, they're the darkest, dankest, most trench-like toilets I've ever been in. And uh, um, also, there was extraordinary service at the uh, refreshment stall, where maybe they were hungover as well, but um, one, one of my friends um, asked them if they had hot chocolate. Um, and he was told, tea or coffee, fucking take it or leave it, love. <laughs> <laughs> love that. I think for I think for me one of the most kind of I don't know about this I, mean, I suppose it was slightly disappointing and we you spoke about it the other week on on the mailbag is Hertha Berlin and and they're you know playing at the Olympic Stadium and how they they desperately need a ground of their own and, and we went there as a, as a team ramble and we watched them get beat two nil I forget who by maybe was it Hamburg or somebody and it was an awful game. And it wasn't the, the Bundesliga experience that one hopes for or one thinks of when you see the likes of Bayern or Dortmund or, or even, you know, sort of teams like Schalke or whatever on, on TV. And, and you're right, it, it, the stadium was pretty empty, even though there was probably about 35,000, 39,000 there. So, yeah. and, and, but the game was rubbish as well. It was really poor. And those um, Hertha fans were letting it be known that they were dissatisfied with their team afterwards but the whole the, I mean the rest of it you know the Bratwurst and the being outside the Olympic Stadium it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful building and all that sort of stuff was, was great but that was a bit disappointing for me to be honest with you Andy what did you see I th- when you when you said like that you were disappointed by it I thought you were going to talk about the uh, celebration of neo-fascist architecture but that's not what you were talking about at all no I'm perfectly fine with that sort of thing yeah <laughs> I'm only joking. I jest, of course, Andy. I thought that was an absolute disgrace. Anyway, um, Andy, we've reached the end of our time once again. Uh, Thank you very much, good listeners, for your questions. Do appreciate them. Uh, Keep them coming in the Discord. Whenever you get a question, even if you wake up during the night and you think, my goodness, I've got an itch that Andy Brassel needs to scratch... Get your questions into the Discord. <laughs> it's 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 always there for you. So so um, so so get them in. Don't be shy. Uh, but until next week, Andy, thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus, and thank you, Ramblers. And I really hope you're having nice sleeps and uh, not the sort of weird dreams that Marcus describes just before. <laughs> Absolutely right. See you next week, everybody. Cheers. was a Stakhanov production.